Hello, welcome back to episode 135 of Canberra Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today's conversation, I'm joined by Dr. Yusuf Smith. Yusuf is a returning guest in the podcast, so this is round two after he appeared on the podcast on episode 87, talking about making big career decisions, improving the nation's health productivity, and the reaction last time out was incredible, so it was such a pleasure to host Yusuf again, and this time we actually got together in the Green Room podcast studios during Yusuf's recent trip to Scotland. Since we spoke in September 2021, Yusuf has left the NHS, so we explore what led to this decision and the factors that he took into consideration. Within that, you will also find some useful advice on navigating your own career choices too. It is such a free-flowing conversation on a range of different topics, and I just picked a few different areas I was interested to explore with Yusuf. These include meta and virtual reality, calories being added to menus in the UK, having his home professionally organized, removing estrogens from his life for 12 weeks, and even his thoughts on the no fat movement. I know you're going to enjoy this one and I hope you appreciate that beautiful audio quality that we've got from the studio. If you are enjoying it, please make sure you've left a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you really, really are enjoying it, the last time around it blew up on people sharing on their Instagram stories. So please do so and tag me at call.cambro and tag Yusuf as well. Today's podcast is sponsored and supported by Clean Foods Meal Prep. You'll hear during the conversation Yusuf and I talk about productivity and getting back time. And one way to achieve that for me is through my meal preps. So that is being sent my meals by Clean Foods every single week, 10 meals for lunch and dinner for the five working days of the week. And anyone that's been following me on Instagram will have seen the different meals that I've been sharing. They are highly nutritious, highly tasty, and much better value than I could create for my own time and my own effort in terms of calories that you're getting. I've been absolutely loving the Mongolian beef for my dinner, and I'm quite often partial to the steak, greens, and sweet potato for my lunch, or even the chicken stir fry as well. Um, Ultimately, With meal prep, you're buying back the time that you would take to prep your meals while having something conveniently ready for you when you're at your most vulnerable to making a poor choice. The meals are cooked fresh every single Saturday and midweek in Glasgow, so you can get either a delivery on a Monday or on a Thursday. To do so, you need to order before 2 p.m. on a Saturday for Monday delivery or 2 p.m. on a Tuesday for Thursday delivery. And of course, you can use the code CAMBRO to save 15%. The link will be in the show notes and it's cleanfoodsmealprep.com for you to save 15% and get back more of your time and have tastier, more nutritious meals for the calorie value that you could manage yourself. Last time around, I said you had Instagram stories going off. So let's see if you can do the same again this time. And I hope you all enjoy this one with Dr. Yusuf Smith. Yusuf, we're back. Hello. Thank you for having me on in person. Exactly. Well. A, bit, a bit of a special treat for, for us, but also the listeners too. Very much. I, I've got an admission to make okay. before we start, because I, I have made a horrifically racist error. And this is this is why <laughs> I extended my trip to Glasgow. So there's a chat we were just discussing called Gavin McKinney, who messaged me a while back saying, hey, Yusuf, it'd be great to have you on the podcast, but it's in Glasgow. So you know, if you happen to be in Glasgow at any point, I was like, oh, well, I can't imagine I will be anytime soon, but thank you. And then I got invited to speak at the British Association of Dermatologists. And I was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll message. Who was that, that charismatic, good looking Scottish podcaster that got it? Oh, of course, it was it was Colin because um, I was on his last time. So I sent you a message being like, 
I'd love to take you up on the the offer. And you were like, oh, sweet, I booked you in. And then afterwards, I checked my inbox history. And I was like, oh, it's Gavin. And I, you and had I, two good-looking, handsome, articulate Scottish podcasters inviting you. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, well, I, it feels really rude to sack off Gav, the guy who actually invited me <laughs> to to do this. But I was like, well, I have to just extend the trip. So yeah, and this, we are. it's going to be worth it because we're going to go and train at Extreme 2 after this as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward a, to that. A cool venue as well. Um, but am I still allowed to call you Dr. Yusuf Smith? I don't know. How long do you need to be out? When the last time I saw a patient was six months ago. So when, when do I lose my, I don't know, my cred? Surely, <laughs> surely Twitter told you when you announced that you were leaving the NHS, they were like, you either were stripped immediately or there was, I don't know, maybe there was like a resignation period like Boris is enjoying. Oh uh, yeah, true. Um, th there's a guy on Twitter who just comments on all my posts saying like, stop pretending to be a doctor. And he's just convinced in this, in the face of all evidence. <laughs> Like even like footage of me, like taking blood samples and stuff. He's like, no, you're faking it. I was like, well, yeah, that's just good. crisis actors that are paid to sit <laughs> with you to make the NHS look busy or whatever. Exactly. Oh, that's alarming. But when you did announce that to Twitter, what was the reaction like? I wrote that thread as a throwaway thing. Just, I had some kind of ranty thoughts in my head. I thought, oh, I'll just bash it out as a thread and that will, um, kind of neatly uh, sort of nip off that uh, that aspect of my life but it went viral I've had um, in fact I had the one show get in touch with me this morning asking me to come on there and like Al Jazeera uh, ITV iNews all these kind of and Daily Mirror and all that stuff and I was like and it, it it blew up as a thread and looking back it's like oh well of, of course like because as you know people share stuff on social media as a way to signal I'm part of this group or this is my, and, and so there was a lot of retweets of like, look, Boris, look what you've done. This lovely young man has left the NHS and it's all because of you and the conservative party have ruined it. And so anyone who was pro NHS or anti-Tory used it as a platform to, to share. Um, but really it, it was just personally, I thought just get it down as some kind of reflections of experience working in the NHS and also how that compared to when you're running a small business and you're a very lean operation and any systems that are inefficient, you can very easily pivot and you're experiencing the opposite. In that was one of the big system. themes of our conversation the last time, like the massive juxtaposition between the efficient kind of productive life that you try and live with mm -hmm. propane in your personal life and the kind of technology that was so clunky within the NHS where I think you joked about if there was an S missing on one of the keyboards on a particular computer, Not you wouldn't joke, be able to use it. Yeah, it was actually true, yeah, which is horrifying. Yeah. Equally, I find it funny that the one show and stuff like that are picking up stuff now, whereas you did a video on YouTube, which genuinely, if you were interested in reforming the NHS and improving it and helping it rather than just like using it as a, a political like sword to mm. wield, they would have looked at how you spent your time as a junior doctor because you broke down the mass inefficiencies within the day where you weren't able to help people, which is ultimately what you were in the health service to do. Yeah. And there's a blind spot to this. And I think we discussed it briefly where I was saying that, that when, when they bring in management consultants, for example, to talk about make slides about vision and narrative and, and try and collect data on this, the, the clinicians and the people on the front line are the ones who are experiencing the daily delays. And I sound like a real stickler when I'm saying like, oh, there's a seven second delay when you click on this button and then you, to prescribe a drug you have this 10 clicks and each one has like a six to 10 second delay but these things add up so much because if they're the daily frictions of something which is done multiple million times a day when you multiply the number of people prescribing a drug that those things become very expensive but we have a blind spot to it because they're not quantified 
And so when, when there's no feedback loop that's going up the chain and you've got the industrious type people who go into healthcare, they're not doing it for the money that they're, they're, they're really fueled by a lot of goodwill. And so they'll just hold together a lot of these bad systems and just kind of take it on the chin. And so this stuff doesn't get fed up the chain. And so there's a, there's a broken feedback loop. And so, you know, it, it's, it is something that surely a bit of a controversial um, opinion here, but if you just financially incentivized clinicians to make system and process improvements and made it easy for that to be the case, particularly user interface, I just think this is yeah. massive, then we would solve so many of these things without having to kind of like look at this big system and be like, oh, it's duct taped together, but we can't make any changes to it because then it will require like a whole upheaval. The hardest part um, of change with NHS is that the patient care has to be ongoing. There can't be like, I think it was, we spoke about PwC or or EY mm-hmm. who came in and they were like, we're going to have to do this, this, this. And they were like, well, we can't pause. You can't, you can't pause live patient care. And yeah, exactly. So you, you've constantly got to be making updates as you're delivering care. And even like a five, five minute, 10 minute downtime on the system is really significant. I, I spoke to a guy called Josh Case, who was a, junior doctor in Australia, similar situation to me, but he learned to code so that he could solve a particular problem in his daily workflow, really high agency guy. Basically he was working on a surgical job and he had to pull out data from the the surgical theater list, pull out the name, date of birth, uh, site of operation, uh, operation type, type it into a a spreadsheet or a word document. And that was, that became the, the handover sheet. And he was like, well, I'm doing this as a repetitive task. Let's just write a script that pulls out that data, minimizes human error, typos, time saving. And he went back and forth with the IT department of his hospital. And it took eight months of back and forth with going through all the red tape to implement this, what is effectively a very simple script to get this sorted. And it saved his trust. He estimated 400 grand a year. Um, and he left because he was like, I, I can't handle the amount of like the actual implementation was so simple but it just required so many layers of bureaucracy to get it implemented when we're talking about the kind of people that are holding the nhs and health services in other countries together they Mm. are hardworking, diligent motivated by like maybe like a a cause that's almost greater than themselves in terms of helping onto others but that 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 can only fall back on the the quality of systems like it's the james clear quote isn't it like you, you fall back to the quality of your systems in terms of like rather than the, the goals or the lofty ambitions that you hold and if you're systemically disincentivizing the people who are trying to improve that system you can't expect any kind of big improvement so yeah when we spoke about you choosing to leave investment banking and go and do your medical degree you looked at four currencies that instructed your um, decision, as well as some influence from from David uh, Data. Is that yeah. that? Which is interesting because that book could get you in quite a lot of trouble nowadays. Apparently, that's not like a particularly politically correct book. Yeah, it's a bit on PC. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, you you got to take it with a pinch of salt. You got to read it like poetry rather than take anything too literally yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah. But you looked at four currencies to help you make that decision. How did you make this particular decision? So rather than leaving investment banking and going to do a medical degree while running propane, this is now very much you leaving behind that period of work where you got yourself into being a junior mm-hmm. doctor completing that and now you've had this kind of move away and back into propane full time so for anyone that's interested in this i would definitely recommend listening to our first conversation i think it was yeah. it was it was um it was very fresh in my mind as well but the four currencies so money freedom of time freedom of location and satisfaction and by the point that i left the decision had kind of been made for me because propane had gained enough momentum that it was like 
okay, there's a natural break in the career at the pre-specialty training completion point. So it was easy enough for me. I think for a lot of medics and a lot of people in healthcare, they feel the sense of sunk cost and also that like, oh, but my skills aren't transferable. So I guess I've just got to do this. And they just have to take the real pay cut every year. And you know, particularly I feel the worst for nurses because they, they're just getting hammered and um, they work so hard. They're so smart, so well-trained and yeah. So you said, how did I make that decision? Yeah. So obviously the currencies must have changed over time in terms mm. of how you value them. And that's a very fiscal discussion there, isn't it? But mm. if we look at those four currencies, you at some point must have decided that investment banking didn't meet those. And now you've decided that propane meets those more than yeah. medicine. And so we also talked about the, the kind of window of risk or the window of opportunity that medicine, luckily, is not going anywhere. I'm not interested in being a hotshot hematologist or cardiothoracic surgeon or something. So going into general practice training, you can pick that up where, where you left off. Online business moves really fast. And so you have to just pick up the, up the opportunity while you can. In terms of investment banking, I think the easiest way for anyone that's sat maybe slightly at odds with their job and thinking, is this really something I want to be in or not? And they're struggling to, and obviously you, you mentioned that the comfort of a regular salary and the, a lot of the kind of structure that you get in the social interaction of a, of a job is very much enough to keep you in there, even if you don't enjoy the actual job itself. So maybe the easiest way to look at it is what's my boss doing? So if I get my head down, I'm a good boy and I work really hard in 10 years, where will I be? And you'll find either your boss or his senior manager or whatever. And you go, okay, is he happy? Or would I be happy doing what he's doing every day? If not, then the answer has been. Yeah. Cause that, 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 that's, that's, that's what's coming down the line. If you continue on their path and mm. the same, same approach. Yeah. It, it's very funny, isn't it? What other factors did you consider in terms of what, what, like, what was the, what were the, Pulling factors, obviously propane's tipped over into an area where you're like, right, I need to go all in. There's mm. that factor where timing wise, it works out nicely, but what else was maybe pushing you out of the NHS? So I, to be kind of, to be fair to the NHS, like I think if propane didn't exist, I'd probably still be doing GP training and then creating a portfolio career of some sort. Cause I think as a consultant GP or a qualified GP, you can, you can design your week as you want. And a lot of people, I know a guy who, runs a medical education website, biggest in the world, still does GP training one day a week, does some education. So it's quite nice to like have that variety. But there are record numbers of junior doctors leaving the NHS now and just morale is just tanking. Um, pay. Do you think it's mostly pandemic related or you've mentioned pay there? I think I think both, yeah. Like we'll obviously we'll be paying for the pandemic for, for years to come. Yeah. But hours, pay, recognition, like... I think we talked as well about the the idea of like the clap for NHS. Like, oh yeah, that's that's very nice that the public has a recognition for this stuff. But I prefer a pay rise. <laughs> I'd prefer the actual employer to to recognise that rather than the the general public kind of like acknowledging like, oh, we know that you guys do a really hard job. We're not sure you're remunerated in line with what you would be if this was a private company providing this service. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think our generation don't drink the Kool Aid as much. We're much less on board with the idea of like, oh, well, you pick a direction and that's your career and that. And so people are starting to recognize that, ah, there is opportunity outside of this. And with my skill set, with my level of training or industriousness and all of that, that goes into 
becoming a nurse, becoming a doctor, you could get a much higher ROI on your time with something else. Yeah. We're in a period that some people have christened and I know you've probably still career of LinkedIn and I've talked with Johnny before, your business partner about LinkedIn. He absolutely despises <laughs> the platform. <laughs> he got the but, short straw with that. I got Twitter, he got LinkedIn. Yeah. He, uh, we were saying that on LinkedIn, there's actually a, a thing they're talking about called the great resignation. And it's a huge migration of talent away from jobs kind of post pandemic into a society or an environment where people are like, well, I've not had the pay rise in line with inflation or my pay rise or my conditions have changed where maybe mm. you want me back in the office five days and I don't agree with that. Or maybe you're not letting me come back to the office at all and you expect me to work from home five days and I don't want that either. So, so many people are leaving corporate jobs and it's interesting that that's also been experienced within junior doctors a lot from a, a pay perspective, but also from like a, maybe a, a feeling value perspective. It's interesting it's happening in there as well because obviously that's um, out of my area now. I've only got the kind of lens of seeing seeing within healthcare. But yeah, I guess the, once people see the option of working from home or having like, because I guess it wasn't even a thing <laughs> pre-pandemic really. So now that that's become an option, you're like, oh, actually I can get more done. I don't have to. Did, speaking of which, did you see the promo for metaverse with um zuckerberg like going through the i've not watched it but i've i've, heard, I've seen people react to it which is so, oh. that's the most social media thing ever isn't yeah. it? you see people react <laughs> to an in-depth piece of content but you see mm. their 30 second reaction clip but no to talk us so the, the reason i'm bringing this up is because obviously the the fun, fundamental rules have changed and people are starting to say oh i can actually design how i want my work day to look and there was a bit in there that made me nauseous it was uh someone demonstrating like working at the office and he's sat there and he's got the goggles on and he's like got these virtual screens and he's like and then someone walks he's in his house and then like angela walks past he's like oh hey angela how's the uh project coming along and she's like oh very good greg what what about the uh the the prototype and he's like well we can show you and it's like i don't want angela walking through my kitchen like I, th this is the point of working from home like <laughs> i'm such yeah, an antisocial bastard though i yeah. just want i just want to be at my desk doing my own thing so yeah it's um uh, do you think that's going to take off or is I, it just... I, I, so people like you and I are a little bit less willing to allow that to happen because I think maybe you have, well, I particularly have concerns about what that would mean for like the real world. Mm -hmm. Like, have you seen Ready Player One? That's like my idea of a nightmare, like this sedated, like poor, pretty unhappy population who just completely delve into a virtual world for escapism. Like that, like I think already like Netflix and uh love island and stuff like mm -hmm. that which like albeit have their time in their place people who just sedate themselves from like really unhappy existences with stuff like that and maybe drink drugs on the weekend you're like wow like you you would be super susceptible to put this helmet on and you can live whatever life you want they'd be like fine yeah and and it's it's a it's an understandably or it's a justifiable option if you're mm -hmm. in a lot of pain and you're like god the the chasm to try and bring my 3d world into something that's that's livable is so big that it's easier to put on a headset and the ultimate um progression of all this would be yeah having an iv line of of burgers and dopamine and wearing your, your well, headset. that's the meme isn't it the guy sitting there in his mum's basement just yeah. plugged in well like it's it's a meme but I, th I feel like if we're getting one step closer each time i do wonder what the eventual outcome is going to be yeah, yeah, I, I think actually, yeah, by the time this episode comes out, I've released an episode on central bank digital currency. Mm. And I spoke to a guy who's based in China who has witnessed them build it. And like, if you are a conspiracy theorist and you're willing to like explore all these different things, that opens the door for things like UBI more easily. It opens the door for like just the state having more and more control. 
and for me i've always been quite big on like personal responsibility and like mm. personal freedoms i think with things like meta and escapism and just sedating the population to be happy and just a bit more docile which is a horrible term isn't it like, yeah like, if you were to if you were to <laughs> think ominous. of like how you want to live your life in terms of your values one of the least one of the least <laughs> appealing words to describe you would be you lives quite a docile existence yeah, and i think that is i think that's where like meta would open the door to i can see why it very much comes up against your personal values as well like it's a real um jarring thing and you know they're doing it starting to do it with animals you've seen where they put cows in a, a vr headset with green pastures so that they're less stressed and this idea of i don't know if it's um being rolled out or not but i read an article about vertical chicken farming have you heard about this no so to save space they pack chickens vertically and they they cut out their um frontal cortex so that they effectively don't suffer they're just kind of meat machines and i don't know how you would do it in practice but like the fact that it's even been raised as a thing you're like I, where is this going and if i would love to hear alex jones's take on oh, something like that yeah the <laughs> we it, i did a um video about alex jones's claim of turning the frogs gay if you, you heard that you know the yeah. classic like, he's turning the frogs gay and like people that became memed because it's a people like alex that's a ridiculous thing to say but there's a guy called uh Oki, he, a channel called Oki's weird mysteries yeah and he looked at this claim and went down the rabbit hole and tried to figure out like what was the origin of this turns out it's the what probably the one time that me and alex jones will have some kind of overlap with our with our view it was looking at a company called syngenta who some kind of chemical manufacturing company they were having waste products into a nearby river and the regulators were like oh we need to check that this isn't damaging the ecosystem so they because there was claims that it was um, causing intersex traits in frogs and changing yep. altered sexual behavior so they hired one of, well, they uh, commissioned one of their own scientists, Tyrone Hayes, to do a study and try and demonstrate that it wasn't damaging the ecosystem. Tyrone's findings were that it was and confirmed that it was causing endocrine disruption and intersex um, characteristics. And so they then tried to discredit him and suppress his findings. And it, uh, it's basically like a, they they tried to, they sent private investigators around him tried to ruin his marriage and try so it's really frightening that actually big organizations when they feel backed into a corner they will fight very dirty and they have mm. the resources to fight dirty in a way that you couldn't even imagine yeah absolutely mm. so alex jones threw enough shit at a wall some of it did stick some of it did yeah i've not seen much of his stuff but um all the i did a little video about it and the comments were just like oh but um he was right about everything and then there's always people saying oh but actually like yeah he talks about sandy hook and all these kind of you the actors yeah, yeah you you found a part of the internet and i think that happens sometimes where you're just like this was not who was intended to see this <laughs> and now i'm in exactly. trouble and it's the same happened with the nhs thread like, i don't want to be known as the the guy who left the nhs like i'm i'm just a person who runs a um a marketing consultancy for <laughs> for fitness coaches but yeah um it's posting that you know it gained five thousand followers on twitter and they're all not relevant to our target audience and you're like oh well yeah you, you tap on a live wire on organic media and you're like oh that blew up more than i expected yeah and it's always the ones that you maybe don't intentionally expect yeah have that result and you're like True. i'm not i'm not sure i want you guys here but you're welcome just uh at some point if you have somebody that's interested in running a fitness business if you just pass them on to me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it's it, it is funny what would have to happen for you to return to medicine Ooh. the internet get turned off tomorrow 
and okay. fitness be banned in the metaverse yeah that, that's 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 a pretty solid two one. scenarios i think if if that happened i'd go back to medicine i'd still probably be looking at ways to build out a, a week that i enjoy i think we talked about the idea of uh, you know, the, the, so you've got the four currencies. One of the big ones that people go into medicine for is satisfaction and impact. Now, I don't think that doing 70 hour clinical work weeks is twice as satisfying as doing 35 hour clinical work weeks. So I don't think it's a linear trade-off. And actually Ali Abdal, who's a um, famous junior doctor who left to now, to now run um, his channel and multiple income streams is he highlighted this by saying that like, oh, if I run a business, then I'm not saving lives. And you're like, well, how many lives does a doctor save in their life? Average is something like six or eight lives, like direct attributable lives saved. Obviously there's a lot more contribution to kind of improving quality of life and all yeah. that stuff. But he was like, if I really want to optimize for that metric, become a millionaire and then donate to the millionaire, the malaria foundation and you know, number of mosquito nets, I think it's like £2,000 per life save that you can you can generate. So like that's a much more effic efficient way to achieve that goal. So really, if I'm just doing it for the personal satisfaction of saving lives and the warm, fuzzy feeling, then that's uh, that's more of a personal bias. And it's like, fine to do that, but just to be aware that that's where you're optimizing for. Johnny always says, this is such a like accidentally profound thing that he said, which is you've got to put the Facebook pixel somewhere. So in the, in the world of paid ads, like you're optimizing for conversion on a particular landing page or whatever. And so you've got to put the fixel, pay, Facebook pixel somewhere to say, right, that's what I'm optimizing for. And you can't, um, like re regardless of where you put it, that's where the resources will go. So yeah, that is profound, much. isn't it? Yeah. Like it, you have, you have to choose something like mm. whether it's what you absolutely have always wanted or not. And Ali choosing to financially leverage and get as much out of it as possible to then have an impact maybe less directly mm. but still very directly because it's it's his capital and it's his money that's enabling that but although he's maybe not at the side of the the the, the, the bed in the hospital like resuscitating or, or saving yeah, somebody's life exactly. one of the most interesting things i think since you've gone full-time into propane is your ability to just double down on the organic content like you've created so much over the years like your mm. youtube channel has videos from like 11 years ago for example <laughs> Some of them, some of them got crazy views as well, like deadlift videos and like yeah. reactions and stuff like that. It's a similar thing to you. Yeah, this it's why I love YouTube as a platform because, as opposed to feed-based platforms where after forty-eight hours, like if you stop posting, people have forgotten about you. The the keywords and the the kind of search-based and long-tail effects of YouTube are fantastic. Like we will sometimes generate sales from a video that we made five six years ago, yeah. and. I was doing a fecal disimpaction, like scooping poo out of someone's bum at two in the morning um, last year and thinking like, I'm so, I'm so sick of this. Like this is like seven pounds an hour effective hourly rate. And then I came out of the room, took my gloves off, washed my hands, uh, checked my phone and I had a Stripe notification for seven pound 99. It was just like the universe just being like, huh, like that's the leverage of a, an ebook that I wrote years prior. Or somebody just purchased it through Gumroad or something like yeah, that. Yeah, at two in the morning. And it was kind of like, the universe just saying like, ah, so seven pounds, seven pounds, and you can, you can earn it either exchanging time. And you did this a long time ago as well. So it's like, yeah, it was, a, it was a book that I wrote about like a pull-up program. And so the, I think content is a fantastic way to 
find your voice and generate your, and I know you, you, you said this is a, a great kind of side benefit of the podcast is that even if it didn't um, take off financially, you're still winning the game because you're, you're generating skills and you're talking to interesting yeah. people and all that. Like so, the, yeah, the people I get to speak to, wild. Like, yeah. like we were talking before we hit record about Daniel Crosby, like would I have been able to speak to him if I didn't have a top 1.5% podcast in the mm. world. He probably wouldn't have taken his random Zoom call with me just off a LinKedIn message. Yeah. Unless exactly. I had an audience to share with him or some credibility to say, like, I'm going to ask him interesting questions. It's it's mad. And you're adding so much value to to your listeners as well. Like you, you I really, I do see you as a master of your craft. Like you, the, the way that you construct interviews, the way that you manage to, like, it's such a hard skill. Like I am terrible at interviewing people. Like we occasionally have people on our podcast and I'm just rubbish at it. Um, and I, it's, and it really, when you do it and it's, it's a bit like golf or like you, you see someone swinging a stick about and you're like, Oh, I could have a go at that. That looks all right. Yeah. And you give it a go and you're like, Oh, okay. There's a lot more nuance to having to. So many break points. Like I, I, I play golf. So yeah, like mm. there's so many different points in the swing where it can go wrong apart from just where you hit the ball. So like everything that happens before and everything that happens after it, apart from the point of impact can, <laughs> can, can impact. So it's the exact same with a podcast in terms of like the prep before it and the, discussions during it and then obviously the the after stuff which is the kind of more arduous stuff and i've spoke to you and johnny on your podcast about like the the kind of back end stuff where you're getting people to build a clip and promote it and put it on tiktok and put it on reels and put it on instagram mm -hmm. uh, sorry youtube shorts and try and garner an audience through that that's like the much more arduous part whereas i quite like the prep and the interview itself mm. it's like the it's all the bitty yeah after yeah absolutely and i i i'm kind of annoyed at ourselves for trying to because we're spread quite evenly across instagram tiktok twitter youtube facebook whatever and i kind of wish i just picked a platform and nailed it mm. early on but now it's quite hard to kind of because we, we also have equal, roughly equal conversion from different platforms too yep. so yeah i think like starting again i'd probably just pick one platform whichever one matches your your skill set but you, yeah. like so for example you and johnny differ greatly in that you are so comfortable now in front of the camera doing either short form or like longer or like short form for like reels or mm. long form for youtube and johnny is just an absolute behemoth when it comes to like like how do i structure and target this particular ad um on facebook and he can write the copy for it or whatever else and like yeah he's just, he just masters that like I'm, I'm the bloke with the rail gun that's just firing everywhere and he's like the sniper that's uh or like the heat seeking missile you know he's just super targeted adverts for things and he just spends his his life just in google analytics and in the spreadsheets and yeah, yeah. but I, I like that you being full-time now has freed you up to react to even more because those are the videos that i always enjoyed that you've done and one oh, of the recent ones has been uh when calories were introduced onto menus and that means that you can give quite a nuanced take from having dealt with so many people through the nhs but also run a fitness business where people who probably gravitate towards that are like so pro it Whereas you probably experienced both sides of the argument because of that. Yeah, very much. <clears throat> it's a good framing for that too, because as a as a doctor, the patients that come to you for lifestyle advice, they healthcare is free at the point of delivery, so there isn't a skin in the game financially, and the there's a huge difference in motivation, self education, um, social background, all of that stuff. And we talked about the ACE index as well, which is the um, the childhood factors that would lead to someone struggling more with their with their weight or with with their motivation and all these kind of things and then you've got the people who come to me for fitness coaching and they've already put their money where their mouth is they've probably already got a training program they're going to the gym already you know what they want is like optimization 
And so it's a very different population. Usually different populations. So I definitely, so I do think that the calories on menus thing, they've missed the audience with this because when you, I imagine you've just done a photo shoot, you've probably been tracking meticulously. Yeah. If you go out for a meal, you're like checking on the, the restaurant chain's website and looking for the calories on there. Like you, you don't, you don't really need this. It's nice. It's convenient to have it on the menu directly, but you probably still would go out and look for the, the calories on there. It'll be in my fitness pub before I go. <laughs> like like for for like it particularly in the prep for a photo shoot yeah, yeah. And, and even in the last few weeks before you probably can't even like you probably can't even eat out to be honest mm. um but even like kind of year round i do like to like leave a particular amount or i'll know roughly that that pizza is going to be 800 calories or that steak and chips is 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 900 and it's mostly protein and fat and you plan the rest of your day and how you can yeah. create the buffer and all that yeah so for, so the people who are tracking calories, it's neither here nor there. It's slightly more convenient, but that's it. And that's why a lot of PTs are quite happy with it because for them, brilliant. Like they can, but for someone who is obese and doesn't have an awareness of, of calories and they're not tracking the rest of the day, go to McDonald's and it's like, okay, that's 750 calories. Okay, what does that mean? What it, yeah, yeah. What does that mean? Like, do I know how much I'm taken in do i know more what my is their bowl of cereal in the morning is? in their toast could be 300 or it could be 900 they have no oh, yeah. concept especially cereal bloody dangerous yeah, isn't 30 it? gram <laughs> serving <laughs> oh yeah 30, yeah have you, have you seen a 30 gram serving on a on a bowl yeah poverty <laughs> so so yeah you're, you're right like it's it's miss it, it's missing the mark with the audience there's also the consideration of eating disorders that someone who's going out because this was the most visceral reaction online from females within the fitness community who mm. a number of them have come from like uh, an ED background. And you see that quite a lot, like girls who have come from that eating disorder challenge, becoming like bikini competitors or coaches because... And then becoming eating disorder recovery coaches. Arm, yes. Armchair psychiatrists. Yeah, we need, yeah. To, we need to be very careful with that <laughs> demographic, don't we? Um, but that was the most visceral reaction where I saw girls in that community, but also girls who are just generally like kind of holding themselves up as quite compassionate to be like have nobody thought about how triggering this can be and mm -hmm. i wonder do you think people did think about how triggering it could be i, I don't think policymakers do because I don't, I don't yeah. they probably don't consider all the angles but <laughs> which is what they're paid to do well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah you, you could argue that when you go to a restaurant that's maybe the time that you don't want to be thinking about your calories and also it's one meal out of unless, unless you're eating out every day like it's 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 not the majority of your meals so mm -hmm. really if that's the only meal that you know the calories for, it's also kind of neither here nor there. The The thing about someone with an eating disorder, again, like if they really wanted to know, they would look it up. But I think it's more of a social impact that if you're going out with a friend and you know that one of them's got an eating disorder and you go like, oh, can we have the, the menu without the calories for her? But it, it almost Awful, shines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How humiliating is that? If like, so yeah, it's, it, it just, it introduces another layer of awkwardness. Um, I don't know what to play devil's is. advocate i saw somebody say the percentage of people with an eating disorder is much lower than the percentage of obesity that we have in the uk yes like so they were playing devil's advocate to say like we have to pick our poison here which one's more important yeah and the, well, i suppose the question is also the effectiveness like will having the calories on the menus help obesity yeah at the moment probably not I'm just, I, you got I, wrote, some stats I wrote a couple of things on it. Yeah. But I suppose food quality, it like some people have criticized it for saying, oh, it just shifts the focus to total calories and ignores food quality. 
probably some, one of my blind spots personally. I imagine one of yours because the food quality decision-making is kind of automatic for us. Like that's, that's not something we have to consciously make a decision about when you're eating day to day, you're thinking like, what are my macros and how do I hit that? Because of course it's not going to be from margarine, not spooning in the, yeah. the, the double cream or whatever. So yeah, there's that, there's the hypervigilance. Um, and I'm trying to be as objective as possible because it it's convenient for me, but I'm not the target audience. Yeah. Like so, it works well for me, but like, so rather than having it on the menu, if, if every restaurant wants to have it on their website, fine because that maybe makes my job easier i also interestingly thought that some of them have been like overestimated because i've guesstimated and like tracked for maybe seven eight eight, eight years probably mm, you get a really good eye for it you can look at a potato and be like yeah That's 80 yeah grams. yeah and then you, you can also like you can taste something in a restaurant and be like i mean this has been cooked in so much oil like mm. my, my like my guess here has just been way off this tastes too good to be however many calories yeah but if that was on the website that maybe takes away some of the challenge for me but i also think like I went out for a pizza and I was like, what if they cook this in for this small pizza to be like 900 calories in the menu? Cause like mm. a margarita pizza isn't, if, especially if it's like an Italian made one, unless it's like Domino's and Pizza Hut, which is just, there's Domino's so much junk gratuitous, isn't it? Yeah. 3000 calories for a large pizza. Yeah. Absurd. I, absurd. And you don't get much eating for it, which I just find bizarre. Whereas mm. like, if you go for like an Italian made pizza, unless they've like drizzled it in loads of olive oil, you're kind of like, well, this is actually, it's, it's bread and tomato and like, yeah how can it be else? 900 calories yeah exactly yeah. so i think i think they have erred on the side of caution as well because there are like even like meal prep companies like i recently did a deal with a new meal prep company in the last like four or five months and one of my biggest reassurances was like for the food that you give me like how confident are you that this actually is like a 500 calorie steak greens and uh sweet potato meal or like mm. how confident are you that this chicken stir fry is 650 calories with 40 grams of protein because you see some meal preps and you're like there's no way that that is 400 calories like there's like there's 40 grams of protein so like where where are the rest of the calories going they're just skimping on the the chicken and whatever yeah, yeah. I, I suppose with that stuff like if it's meal prep usually it's two or three ingredients isn't it so you can just weigh out the chicken if you're really concerned but for me like especially with a meal prep company i i don't so I, um, Joe currently does, does mine and I've just got it as one entry on my macro factor yep. because I'm happy if, if there's variance between recipes and things, cause I know that relatively it'll average out if that's all I'm eating every day yep. and then I can just make adjustments in chunks, which is a bit easier. Yeah, that's huge. But yeah, there was, there was a, a restaurant in Glasgow that was quite famously caught out. Um, and they're like a fitness restaurant. They were caught out just massively under reporting the calories that were uh -huh. within their meals and it massively over reporting protein. And uh, it made the daily record in the sun and all that nonsense. So that, this I, is lovely. Like, yeah, I exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, I remember going and it was like this kind of like, like not fried, but like it was their equivalent of like a fried chicken burger. Mm. And it was like, this, there's no way that this can be 400 calories. Like, I just don't know how, how that's possible. Like, the bun itself will be like 200. Yeah. And it was because it was a big, like big bit of bread. No, absolutely wild. One of the other pieces of content I really liked was, you had your home professionally organized. Mm. And for those that have heard you on the previous episode and even during this conversation so far, they'll realize that you are somebody that is quite on point, organized, seeking like maximal productivity. What were the big things that they, they changed about your house? <laughs> so my my house was, I, I, I thought I was relatively minimal, but you know, because I've had to move, I used to live in Edinburgh. You have to move out during the festival or you get charged quadruple rent. And so you end up whittling down your stuff to barely anything. So I've moved like 20 times over the last 12 years or so. But 
even though, even still, I think the, the actual organization of that stuff, sometimes you just have a chaos cupboard and you're just like, Oh, just chuck it all in there. And, um, what, what she did was three stages. So it was sort, purge and organize. So sorting was literally pulling everything out of the cupboards, all the drawers and stuff, <clears throat> looking at what is redundant. And she plays bad cop with you. And she's like, right, you've got 16 shirts here, throw away eight of them and give me the best ones. Uh, or this one's got a hole in this one, whatever. And she'll just like ruthlessly chuck stuff away. Obviously, you know, with, with consent, but I, I think I need a bit of, a bit of that. Um, and you're not a hoarder either. So it's... no, I'm, I'm a digital hoarder. Definitely. Okay, yeah. I um, guess that. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, just notes and, and things, but yeah, so, so that, that was a really useful process. And then just having an objective eye as well as with hiring any coach, because it's the kind of thing most people would be like, I don't need to hire a professional organizer. That's a bit of a wanky thing to do. I can do it myself. And you're like, all right, how long have you wanted to do a home organization for? Oh, at least the last two years. Okay. How long would it take you? Mm, six hours. So why haven't you done it yet? Cause you just need someone to come in and be like, right. You probably today. underestimate six hours as well. It's probably going to be more than that. Yeah, true. Like there was just the fact that there was two bodies. So me and her both like sorting through stuff quickly meant that we could bash through it. But yeah, the, you, you can see the time lapse of the organization on the, on the YouTube videos. So, um, I just set up a camera and luckily she was, she was, she was all right with it as well. I was like, do you mind if I just like film probably good, bits of this? Good promotion for her. And yeah, it was good marketing for her. I suppose I interviewed her at the end and talked about the kind of philosophy of it and stuff. Yeah. What were the big things that surprised you that got purged? I think the stuff that got purged, I kind of expected. Um, it was, it was just being prompted to, to do it. There's always stuff that you're holding on to. You're like, oh, maybe I'll wear that at some point or whatever. And she was like, look, when, when did you last wear it? Get rid. Um, papers is always a difficult one because you can't, you, you have to go through and read each one and, you know, old council tax bills and proof of address and birth certificates and all that kind of stuff. Um, but she's very big on kind of have each thing having a place and having labels for grouping similar items. And it's probably all basic stuff for the Marie Kondo fans. But um, for me, I just needed someone to hold me by the hand and take me through it. Yeah. Was there anything that she did that particularly surprised you then? Like you, you kind of knew what needed to go, but she was the reasoned professional voice that enabled you to do it. Was yeah. there anything that you were just like, oh, wow, I never thought I would need to improve on this area? I don't think I was too surprised, but I asked her, where did I rate on a one to 10? And I think she said I was like a three or a four in terms of where 10 is mega hoarder, can't see the floor in your house. Okay, cool. And cool. one is like pristine home. She said that she, there was one household that she threw away 1,700 odd socks. So I don't even know how many matched socks they had and it was a family of um you know multiple kids and stuff and they just every time they couldn't match the socks the parents would just buy more and it's like surely the solution there is just buy the same color socks like <laughs> you know you don't yeah. need to oh. but yeah so um i imagine that's something where some people might you know clearing out a room for some people might require several weeks of work mine was just a day yeah because you were you considered yourself to be fairly minimalist before that i think so yeah is it something you consider um again i'm quite I, i've definitely got too many clothes like i've got a big wardrobe and there's stuff in there that i just don't wear but then mm. it's also different because i used to work in a job where i wore a suit every single day whereas now mm. i work from home all the time and when i go out to clients i am smart but i'm not in a suit and tie so i've got loads of that in my wardrobe like loads of like work shirts and i'm like i'll wear them at some point yeah and, and then i've also like 
not that I fluctuate massively in weight, but I do have some clothes where I'm like, when I'm heavier, I can wear that. Or when I'm like, and even like just recently with the photo shoot, I had like pairs of trousers that like the waist on them was just like out to like there. And I don't even, my waist doesn't even change that much. It's just, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what has happened. So true about ties as well. Like a suit and tie stuff. Like I think I had like 12 ties and I remember thinking, no, no, I might use them at some point. I'm like, hang on, when did I last wear a tie? Yeah. Like <laughs> maybe at a wedding and that's, yeah. that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's mad. Um, I'm trying to think what, what, like my kitchen's pretty immaculate. My living room's pretty uh, well laid out. But yeah, it's probably like stuff like clothes or like old documents and stuff like that that are just lingering within my house and where like I have a decent mm. filing system. But like in the modern age where like you can go paperless on HMRC, you can like all your pay slips are sent to you via email now and you log in with your national security number, uh, sorry, national insurance number. Whereas in the past, like like my first grad job, I have like four years worth of monthly pay slips and pension updates and stuff like that whereas yeah. now I, you just get those emailed to you so i guess i've got all of that that trend can't happen any faster i'm i hate paper i'm so yeah tired of like yeah getting like paper statements and stuff and i'm like guys can you not just and they're like oh no we don't have a computer system like it's 2022 but i i guess you probably know this better than me that the financial and insurance sector is so ridden with regulation that i think it's quite difficult for them to switch to digital systems yeah it's, a, it? it's a tick box to be able to be like well that's all been documented because they've received it via mm. in physical copy oh, it's just covering their yeah. ass yeah right. you should put a red receipt in the email it'd be absolutely fine yeah there we go there we go we're, 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 we're <laughs> solving problems <laughs> you mentioned paper there and uh, obviously receipts are a type of paper and we're probably going to talk <laughs> about receipts at some point but you removed careful calling you get me on my hobby horse i here. know i know <laughs> you removed estrogens for 12 weeks first of all what made you do this the the fact that both of us will recognize the value in that we are spending so much of our time optimizing for trying to get our natural hormonal profile as as good as possible optimizing our performance our, our health um our, our body fat muscle mass and if there's a huge hole in the bucket of just chemical endocrine disruption it just seems like a ridiculous waste so i spoke to a guy called anthony j Dr. Anthony Jay, who's a, he's a PhD in estrogen, and he went through some of the the impacts of environmental estrogens, xenoestrogens, which are kind of from chemical sources, and how they impact us, and also just how ubiquitous they are. Like absolutely everything that we come into contact with. Uh, so plastics, fragrances, cosmetics, receipts, uh, polyethylene carpets, um, vinyl floors, all this stuff. Like did detergents that we wash our clothes with even wearing clothes that have been washed with scented detergent is enough to affect our blood levels of phthalates and parabens so there's so much bombardment and i just thought is there anything that i can do it feels like a bit of a sisyphean task but can i eliminate some of the main sources and so i did that i switched a lot of my cosmetics to like as paraben free or estrogen free as i could find I stopped microwaving in plastic. That was the big one. Yep. And I did some blood tests before and after. Did a hormonal panel and discussed them with Anthony. Um, and they generally improved over 12 weeks, which is pretty cool. That's a short time frame for a hormone change. Then we, uh, I've retested recently and all of my blood markers have improved once again. Obviously, I can't say causation. I'm just one person with a couple of blood tests, but it seems to be trending in the right direction. So from cool. that initial 12 weeks where you removed things quite aggressively in terms of trying to make some big changes, it improved. Mm. I, I knew that. But you've tested again since. What have you done in the kind of intervening period? Have you kept up some of the practices? Yeah, I've kept up the practices. A lot of it's quite easy. Once you've made the choice, you, you know, you switch to a different like 
for example, I've got my deodorant here that I use. Yep. Um, find it. Oh, that reminds me, Colin. <laughs> this is for you. Oh, I've got a segue. <laughs> Um, some lovely chocolates, guys. Some lovely chocolates for those that are on audio only. Yeah, and I know your your post photo shoot now, so hopefully you can. That, you can I can fit them in. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, for example, this salt of the earth. Assuming that's my camera. Yeah. Um, this is the, like I've got a full list of all the the substitutions I made, and I, I went. I've started like tweeting the companies and being like, "Excuse me, like what's what's this ingredient in your thing?" And like, you are at, a menace, aren't you? Like, oh, <laughs> such a bastard. <laughs> like the, someone's drawn out a big table of like how different compounds will act on estrogen receptors in in vitro and so you have to you, it's a, it's really difficult to get the information properly but one of the things to look out for as well is parfum or fragrance which you might have seen when you're reading the back of the shampoo yeah. label on that that is the the catch-all term that they use to hide their proprietary blends and that's usually where they put all the worst stuff in there so luckily in the UK, we don't have atrazine and these kind of more severe compounds, which is what um, Syngenta and Tyrone Hayes was was looking at. We're putting in the water, basically. Yeah. yeah um, because but, the tap water, and since you've been up here, you'll notice the tap water in Scotland's much better than the tap oh, water down south. It's not as hard. It's genuinely, yeah. it's just, when I go to London and Manchester with work, I'm like, how do you people drink this? It's pissed. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I, I guess one of the things I try and do as a host and you've, you've always been very complimentary of that is like, think about the question that the listener would want to ask. So mm. why, why should we be, you've mentioned that like we want to try and reduce our estrogen, but why? Mm. Sperm count has been dropping over the last 40, 50 years. We have to keep changing the reference range. Like what is now normal wouldn't be normal 40 years ago. I, I find that quite frightening. It's like the basket of goods we use for inflation. They're like, yeah, you used to eat steak, but yeah. now it's dog food. And actually inflation is only at, eight percent yeah it's exactly that and your test your test at a perfectly normal range but like i don't know 40 years ago your grandpa would be able to bench press you yeah it's shifting the goalposts and you know there's i'm sure there's many factors and and the the, the problem that i see is that there are things which are within our control we won't find out from industry for another 50 60 years it'll be thalidomide or what you, like all these things that there is of course a financial incentive to suppress this stuff so you've got to say like what is reasonably practicable for me what's going to not cause me a massive inconvenience but i can still do to try and optimize this stuff also the other impacts of estrogen um hormone related cancers uh, metabolic syndrome obesity all these kind of things are impacted by this too for me the big high yield thing is just not microwaving plastic microwaving tupperware any plastic that gets like rubbery when you when you heat it up or um have you ever had a and I, apologies paul because you think i'm sound like a senile old man here um but something red or curry tomatoey stuff in a tupperware yeah. and so it when i used to meal it. prep um one of my dinners would be um like tomato sauce pasta mm. with mince like that's like it you've got pink yeah. tupperware forever and that tupperware would stain and I, again this would even be would have actually been before i think i listened to dr j campbell on mm. Ruanwar's podcast. Do you know Ruanwar? Yeah. Anwar? Um, this was years ago, and he said one of the big game changers is glass Tupperware. Easier to clean, mm. doesn't stain, and also enables Food you to maintain well. your maintain your um kind of test levels. Yeah, absolutely. And the what happens the reason that stains is because the acidity in that stuff will interact with the surface area of the the plastic, and it just exchanges molecules with it. So you're getting plastic leaching into your food, and vice versa. 
So, so switching yeah. from that, switching to Steel Shaker, that was one, one of the things for me as well. Shark, um, yeah. And also, if you like, we're talking about staining like like tomato sauces, whatever within mm. the Tupperware protein shakers. Just oh, once you've used it for a couple of weeks, like it's never the same. Whereas the Steel Shaker, I've had that. Well, I, I've got like four that I put in rotation. <laughs> um, yeah, well, let's not get into it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they clean so well. Like I can drink water out of that fine without the lingering of like chocolate smooth or, or cinnamon danish yeah. or whatever protein that I've had. And if you've ever left a shaker in like a hot summer, a hot car overnight, game over, isn't it? You've just got to chuck it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like um, melted. So the the other question that people might be asking is, well, why can't I just take an estrogen blocker? Can I not just take mm. tamoxifen? Can I just take clomiphene? A cancer drug, isn't it? Uh, is used in breast cancers. Uh, clomiphene used as a um, you see a lot of guys use it as a post-cycle uh, post-cycle therapy or, yeah. or even during a blast of steroids to minimize like gyno and acne mm, in the context of steroids it's a whole different game because so, you, you're then artificially kind of messing with stuff but for the for the average person taking clomiphene i asked anthony this and i was like surely that's a simple solution because there's so much bombardment you can't avoid all of it and he was like unfortunately it's not that simple there's multiple estrogen receptors and if you block something at the receptor level you're going to increase at the production level and then you end up kind of causing other problems. There's new drugs called uh, the selective estrogen receptor destroyers, which like fulvastrant, which can actually destroy the receptor completely. But again, it's it's like trying to pull out one thing in a complex machine, and then all the other bits have to compensate. And so, for me, short of taking testosterone, I feel like some simple yeah. lifestyle changes will do. Yeah. What was the kind of other changes you made as well? You don't like touching receipts anymore? Yeah, I used to just rub them all over my face in, in the mornings, but now I've had to, had to stop doing that. <laughs> that that surprised me when it was like, oh, receipts are like very high in estrogen. Apparently massively, yeah. yeah. It's so so now like I, also like unless you need it for tax reasons. Yeah, why? We just default we take the receipt and we're like, oh well, no, what do I do with this? It's just more more waste as well. Yeah, exactly. That you've been climate friendly and, and testosterone friendly yeah. as well. No, that that is funny. So the the blood panel results showed that you'd had improvement, but what about anecdotally? Like, how do you feel? I struggle with with that because um, I think there's so You many... looked similar as well. Your before and after shots, for those that haven't seen the video, yeah. you have similar looking muscle mass. You have similar look, looking levels of like prominence of that muscle as well. Like you're not mm. massively leaner or like, and your body weight's similar as well. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's very observant. Like I'd, I'd, I'd actually, I'd be surprised if there was a significant change. Obviously I've been training for some time and to have a sudden change in 12 weeks that would be like whoa okay this stuff's really potent um so i guess i wasn't expecting a huge amount and anthony did say one of the other things that you can do and i don't understand the mechanism for this but he said having muscle mass is a great way to sweep up excess estrogen so um i guess all the more reason to, to lift weights get jacked yeah there's so many downstream benefits from it yeah, it is interesting. It actually links into one of the other areas that we agreed that we're going to talk about today. And that is you did a video such a long time ago, March 2018, I went and found it. Oh and <laughs> the movement seems to be more popular than ever before in terms of talking about it. But it's it's no fap. So that is uh, not watching porn, yeah. not ejaculating, not masturbating. Like you did a video back in March 2018 when I hadn't really heard about the concept as much. Whereas mm. now it's it's so prominent in on Twitter in particular and lots of different mm. circles. Guys are talking about it. And it does relate a little bit to people talking about like, oh, like keep your testosterone levels high. Or like it's it's beta to like watch lots of porn. Mm. Like these terms are thrown around a lot. What was your kind of take on it at that point? And let's kind of yeah. bring it up to modern day. 
Good question. So as a framing, as you say, NoFap is the practice of not jerking the gherkin and just as a permanent thing. And it's, there's a lot of different mechanisms that people claim. It's got a massive cult following people claiming things like, um, they're gaining muscle. They're more productive that women are approaching them out of nowhere because of their vibe and, um, that they're, they're, they're giving off pheromones and stuff like that. Yeah, isn't it? that yeah. They're able to concentrate more, all this kind of really like superhuman claims. Now, first of all, there's the magic pill effect. There's the fact that if everyone's doing something and it feels like there's a, just a, a single thing, that's the solution to everything that by doing that, oh, that's, that's unlocking the potential for all this stuff. Or there's the conspiracy aspect of people trying to keep us docile with all, all this, all these kind of, um, angles that people take. And if you read the forums, people are fanatical about it, aren't they? Now, if we look at the science, testosterone is one of the claims. There is a transient increase in testosterone at day seven of sexual abstinence, and then it goes away. Nothing really to write home about. The Probably the main mechanism, and I think the reason that people are actually claiming big benefits from them, I'm not doubting them, but is the dopamine sensitivity and the kind of what they're doing is they're stopping an addiction. And so if someone is in a pathological state, if they're a pathological fapper, and then they go from that to not doing it, they've saved four hours a day. Yep. Of course, they're going to um, be able to look someone in the eye and they're going to be able to operate They're going to feel more. much better, yeah. Yeah, they'll have more time. They're not going to be exhausted, etc. So that's a massive lifestyle change. It's the same as like somebody who maybe was like very obese suddenly starts training and tracking their nutrition. Like, wow, I feel so much better. And you're and like, I think it's because they dropped you, carbs and it's like, because you went yeah. from A to Z, you went from A to Z or zero to hundred or whatever. So mm. I can see huge benefits for somebody who's able to move away from like a challenging relationship with it to yeah. abstinence entirely. Absolutely. And I, I, I used to be very religious. I've had long periods of abstinence. Didn't notice much difference. Um, it's, it's just something that, um, I think it depends on your starting point, as you say. Um, there is a kind of spiritual claim that, you know, um, preserving your your life essence and your jing and being able to like move it around your body and all that stuff. Like I, I'm not spiritually advanced enough to be able to yeah. to make any kind of claims about that. Um, but there's also, there's there's a lot of stuff on porn. And I think that's probably the more damaging thing from a neuro uh, neurochemical perspective. 100%. Like that, that's the more interesting part of it rather than just the, the masturbation part. It's actually what you're watching and what you're becoming mm. accustomed to and related to. And um, I've spoken to Josh Shea, who was a recovered porn addict, and he mm. spoke very well on the, the impact that removing that from your life can have. Interesting. Well, like intuitively, watching someone else copulate it's not something we're really wired to do. And it's a bit of a evolutionary. Weird, yeah. We're not. Yeah. Um, the fact that there's in, infinite pools of it. So it's infinite novelty of people who, you know, are, have bodies that don't look like normal humans. And, and then there's all the kind of, uh, weird subtypes and perversions and all that kind of stuff too. And so it's that, that there's an argument that the dopamine seeking behavior is looking for, novelty and not necessarily like sexual appealingness but just like something that's crazy and um extreme and and new and so then that starts to create kind of We're progressive of, people aren't we like you, you, it's the same like we try and progressively overload in the in the gym we progressively overload what we're watching well yeah there we go so so there's there's all of that and if you're kind of frying out your dopamine receptors with more and more novel and crazy and violent stimulus and all that kind of stuff like it of course, that's not, that's not going to be good for the brain. 
there's a study looking at rats and I think there's a guy who um, has done a lot of science on this stuff where they looked at the erectile response of rats in response to a new uh, female rat. And it would go up above baseline and then drop and then introduce a new female rat and a new one. And they kept introducing new sexual novelty until eventually the rats weren't able to achieve that erectile function and it was getting below baseline. So they were becoming desensitized to novel sexual stimulus. And there's no doubt that's what's happening now. And we're seeing 15 year olds with erectile dysfunction. Like that should not be the case. Yep. So maybe it's because of the estrogen as well. Well, yeah. And it's hard to extricate all these different factors, isn't it? It's interesting. You mentioned that the, there was some data where testosterone kind of was improving after seven days Mm. because I know that boxers, um, like try and abstain from even just sex so not just masturbation before like a fight because it can peak like their ability to tap into different stores or whatever else mm. and um I, I have shared this in a podcast before but people might not have heard this but um i used to i was told once when i was maybe like 17 that if you masturbate or have sex on leg day your ability to train as well and like a uh, like improve your leg muscle mass was reduced and i genuinely like I, I built the habit and mm. then I just like adhered to it for years, even without thinking. And I've, I've actually oh, well, built, I've built Thursday, some decent so. quads. So <laughs> well, there must, we go. anecdotally, <laughs> must be it. the NoFap community will like me for that one particular. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's a weird, like, and, and Twitter particularly loves to fetishize certain things. So they go through cycles, like the, the Twitter guru sphere love to kind of, they're on a bit of an eggs hobby horse at the moment. And then it becomes like, perineum sunning and mm. no fap and black coffee and cold showers and and like all these different things like all of them are fine like i, I i'm not you know if you want to go and do no fap if you want to have cold showers black like none of them are good or bad in themselves but it's the the magic pillism that seems to yeah come out from this stuff i think sometimes it can be a gateway though like so if you can get control over watching porn and masturbating two mm. three four hours a day whatever it is if it starts to get towards that then you can put that time into other things which could benefit you much more whether that's a business your studies exercise cooking your own food even socializing and actually or like one of the big appealing factors of it, i think is like if you aren't satisfying or itching or scratching that itch yourself mm. are you more determined to go out and get a real woman rather than like making love virtually yeah that that is a good point and i suppose i'm not very sympathetic to that because I'm, I'm in a long-term relationship yeah. i'm not really much of a fapper so it's kind of it's not something that features in my mind and so I, I see these kind of forums and i'm like oh that's it's a bit weird but it i suppose of course it is it's a bit pathological um if someone is like experiencing massive gains and i don't know if you've seen any of the like incel stuff like, bits and pieces uh, actually a lot of it um was through an interview chris did on modern wisdom with a lady uh, okay. in that community she's like researched them but yeah it appears to be a growing community of men who are like involuntary celibate which is just an incredible yeah. concept it's a really fascinating thing there was a bbc documentary about it and there was a guy who used to set up Tinder profiles of like <clears throat> a, a jacked black model. And he was like a, um, I think like Hispanic um, guy who yeah. didn't, didn't look like a model at all. And he would uh, set up dates with people uh, at McDonald's. And then like, he'd make them wait 20 minutes and he'd burst in and be like, ah, you slut. Like you only, you only would go out with, with me. Cause I, you thought I looked like him, but you'd never go out with that with me actually. And like, it's crazy. And then like the interviewer was like, do you think that perhaps 
the reason that the women are not wanting to go out with you is because of your attitude. And he's like, no, man, it's because this guy in the photo, like he's got the jawline and he's got the whatever. And it, and oh, he'd like it, really analyzed like what he would need to have to be successful. Women. Yeah. They'd really mm. like focused in on like physical characteristics. And, and it was so interesting, the blind spots. And they had, they, they got like four different incels. One of them was like very bitter. One of them was, um, just a bit of a dweeb and like kind of down on himself and didn't really, um, yeah. like just never, never really tried. Um, the third guy tried to do looks max, which is like the, um, protocol for like saying like, Oh, you've not won the genetic lottery, but let's like see what you can maximize your potential. Yeah. So he'd okay. like taken steroids and um, right. tried to do all this kind of stuff. And, and I think the steroids went wrong and he ended up with like some acne and, and, and then the fourth guy, um, uh, yeah, it was just like d different kind of genres yeah. of, of incel. It was, it was so fascinating to see. Lord Church, but I think these uh, these forums just reinforce things. And then, and then, similar to a lot of the other movements we've talked about, they they become a, a prophecy, self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I think I think they certainly do. And I, like when I hear about it, I think like if it can help you gain back control, then I'm like, right, okay, well, all power to you. But if you're somewhere in the middle where it's like relatively casual use and i don't know what casual use mm. looks like it's probably different for every single person then i can see where it comes from but um well it comes down to your value of personal responsibility because if it gives you a scapegoat and say ah it's because of the jawline and i can't change that so yeah yeah or it's because of women only like this type of man and i'm not and so then it's a it's a lost game and it you know people prefer that because it gives them a sense of identity and a sense of like oh well it's not my fault so but that's not the kind of life that I think either of us want to live. No, you want to take some sort of responsibility. So a productivity hack that we can probably get behind is if, if you are a massive fapper, stop fapping so much. But <laughs> Say four hours a day. Yeah, but we spoke a lot about productivity the last time. But since we recorded maybe like September 2021, what mm. are some of the things that you've started to, to explore recently? So in terms of essentials, I'm a massive Apple fanboy, I just think. You're now on Apple Notes now, aren't you? We were, we were, yeah. you were transitioning away from uh, Notion, I think it was. Well, well remembered. So we, we still use Notion for shared databases and project management and stuff because it's, it's great for that. But as an external brain, I used to use Evernote and Evernote was um, just basically kamikaze themselves as a company. So I switched over to Apple Notes. I just, I'd always prefer to be in the Apple ecosystem because I just think the synchronization and stuff. There's a lot of new note-taking apps and a lot of note perverts that you'll see online that are kind of deep into all the kind of fancy features and they're great, but I'm happy to sacrifice advanced features for speed, accessibility, um, ease of search, ease of capture, because I think that's really the majority of where you interact with your notes. Yeah. Um, particularly for coaches as well, they need an external brain. I think a lot of people think that oh if i'm not a kind of knowledge worker i don't i don't need that or if i'm not an academic whatever you you still have an external brain whether you like it or not but it's just if it's just a fragmented bad system of like word documents on you on your computer yeah. in a folder somewhere that's that's going to be a mess so um if even if it's just for personal admin it's something to to have yeah and consider <laughs> Bones going off. What? Uh, what? 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 What have you introduced that's new then? As a, as a kind of a, a, way, a way to wrap us up, Yusuf. Like, what? What have you introduced that's new since September? What have you changed to? What have you added in? Hmm. 
I've tried to go all in on Apple stuff. So I think Safari and Notes and so on. Uh, Alfred is the big one. Yep. And if you've, yeah, if you've seen anything from us, you'll know that I'm just an absolute evangelist for that. Other productivity hacks. Do you know what? I'm going to use my external brain. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and see if there's anything that comes to mind. The problem is like one, once you solve problems like this, you end up, they become so unconscious that you don't think about them anymore because they're just, yeah. um, process that you've solved and it happens a lot with business where there's a solution to something you automate it and then you never think about the process again and you go oh god remember when we were doing that manually and you, it's it's insane um in terms of so sleep i would recommend getting a pregnancy pillow okay so that's coming because ultimately if you can look after that then your productivity during the day is going to be higher yeah so that's the one that goes between your legs it's yeah it's a big v-shape and you if, if you're especially if you lift or something, you, you know, you find that when you, you're sleeping, you kind of hunch over. So it spaces out your shoulders and your pelvis. And yep. You're not like sweaty with your legs kind of mashed together. So that's very good. Not always popular with the partner. And it's a little bit. Um, yeah. If you're nicer and more affectionate during the day because you've slept better, then you're a more present person. to Exactly. There we go. So. Put, up, put up with this for eight hours a night and I'll be yeah. wonderful during the other 16 hours. Strong mental gymnastics there. So yeah, that, that's I'll, I'll definitely have to use that. Um, so in terms of productivity, I have got a full framework for this, but the, the basic, um, thing is it's not very sexy advice. What is more important than how? Yep. So you need to know, sorry, why, <laughs> why is more important why than is what? More important now? Um, okay. because you can be more efficient at something, but if it's taking you in the wrong direction, then you, you've caused yourself more problems in the future tidy space tidy mind so just having a clear desk getting rid of any bits of paper scanning them in putting them in the relevant slots hence hiring a professional organizer yep and then and the anti-paper crusade yeah exactly um then you've got capture review and do these are the three elements of any productivity system i have gone all into tick tick at the minute which is the the app that i use johnny uses omnifocus needs to switch to things recently but tick tick's just the one I think like having tried basically every one and having maybe an obsessional focus with trying to find like the perfect productivity app, yeah. like it's the closest thing to it. And it should be a separate thing to your notes app because tasks are transient. You don't want them in your, your brain forever. You know, getting some milk next week isn't uh, something that you need in your archives. No. Um, so something you want to take off and move on from. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's been probably the biggest thing to just keep me on track because I've got a built-in calendar you can time box out things you can it's pomodoro timer subtasks yeah. allocate people time boxing has been the big thing for me because i used to have just to-do lists after to-do lists after to-do lists and sometimes mm. you would feel guilt for not getting through it and you're like well actually i know that's like a two-hour task and i haven't put any time in for it so where when was I ever going to do that and when i had Nirial on the podcast and he was just like like to-do lists are fine but if you don't mm. allocate the time out so for example between nine and ten Colin, you will be making prospecting calls and work between 10 and 11. You will be doing your follow-up emails. Yeah. If that's not there, then everything just mashed into one. And at some point you're like, well, I did my calls, but I never did my emails because I never agreed when I was going to like do that. It's so true. And this, uh, a lot of people think that it's um, sacrilegious to have calendar and to-do list on the same mm. thing, but I, I'm very much on board with you. And I'd love to hear that near AL podcast as well. Cause yeah, he was really good. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he's a very clear thinker and 
you like tasks take time. So, so you have to allocate a block of time. It just seems to make the most sense to me. Um, and if you, you can set in the, set up the Pomodoro timer and so on. So yeah, that's, that's a huge one for me. Um, single tasking as well after years of technology pushing you to try and multitask yeah. and the way that interfaces are set up with multiple tabs and split screen and all this stuff made me realize that it doesn't make you more productive. It just makes you feel more productive. Yes. Multiple things happening. Yeah. You're spinning. Like, you, you brain stimulated, but actually sitting down and just doing one thing and getting obsessed with completing a task is the quickest way to get stuff done. And it's such a boring, unsexy thing. And I think the, the more I kind of nerd out on this stuff and loop back and look back on my, my insights and notes and lessons, it always comes down to quite boring, but, and unsexy implementation of basic stuff. Yeah. Um, really the synthesis as I was doing an annual review and trying to look at like, where have I made the most progress in any aspect of my life? It just comes down to know what reps to do and do the reps. Yeah. And I think you're a great example of that with, with the podcast. Like it's, it's gone from strength to strength because yeah. you've, you've known the reps, you've improved your technique and you've done the reps. Yeah. And you can, you can, like you say, like it's, it's so basic when you apply a fitness concept to other areas of your life, but mm. it certainly has, has transferred over. And, um, myself, David Hatt and Chris, who are kind of regulars who do a round table together, a little bit of a version of life hacks that you could do mm. in modern wisdom um we're doing a live show at a uh, war on the walk which is like a kind of crossfit competition in, oh nice in the in scotland and we're talking about fitness as a gateway drug to success in business and career those guys from business perspective me from a career perspective and the way that you've used that analogy there i'll probably be borrowing it and i'll name check you don't worry oh I'll, man go I'll for it. guys go check out for me <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> but yeah in terms of people continuing the conversation with yusuf where should they head towards so at propane fitness on any platform so particularly twitter and youtube is the the big ones that we're on at the moment uh, but we're on instagram tiktok whatever propanefitness.com and if you're interested if you're a trainer or a coach and you want some help with systems to leverage your expertise and deliver it to more people have a look at our podcast called grow your online fitness business and that's up on spotify i've been on there as well so it's a great it's oh a great yeah, podcast, there's, yeah there's an absolutely cracking guest on there so, yeah <laughs> exactly one, that. one of the very few so yeah, no, it's it's been a pleasure to get together today, Yusuf. Let's very go get caffeinated and train. And I'll be back to speak to you all again, guys, very, very soon.